Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. We're in chapter 21. You know, each and every one of us, if we're in a relationship with anybody... With any other human, we've at one time in our lives, we've experienced what's known as the silent treatment. You know what it's like. You come home, and there's just something in the air of the house. Something's wrong, and you know it. You could feel it. So you go to your spouse, and you, you say, well, what's going on? And, and, and they don't tell you. They're silent. So you ask them, what happened? Of course, being a man, my first thought is, what did I do wrong? Because chances are it was my fault. Luckily, I have the kids now. Usually it's something they've done. And sometimes Beth just doesn't feel like talking about it at that moment because she's still processing it because it just happened recently. But when you ask, sometimes when you ask someone what's wrong, you would get crickets. That's all you hear is crickets. The silent treatment, it's hard. And while it may seem frustrating at the time, sometimes not getting the answer to our question is probably best. Sometimes knowing the answer is not good. So as we continue in the book of Isaiah, I want us to keep that in mind. And Isaiah is going through these oracles on the different nations around Judah. We have to be reminded of these principles. Why, why is he giving him these prophecies to these nations? And the, the goal of this is to show Judah and ultimately to show us that we cannot, we must not trust in the things of this world. We cannot trust in our government. We cannot trust in our leaders. We can't trust the this, this society that we live in. Judah could not trust the, the Egyptians, the Cushites that we talked about, can't trust the Babylonians we talked about. And we're going to hear today about a, a couple other smaller nations, or at least one smaller nation and a people group, that also cannot be trusted. We cannot, they cannot put their trust in them, and we cannot put our trust in this world. So let's look at this next oracle in verse 20 in chapter 21 of the book of Isaiah starting with verse 11 this says the oracle concerning Duma one is calling me from Seir watchman what time of the night watchman what time of the night the watchman says morning comes and also the night if you will inquire inquire come back again Basically what the watchman is saying is, I don't have an answer for you. If we look, uh, if we were to pull out a map of, of ancient uh, Middle East, there is no Duma. There's no country, there's no area called Duma. So what we find here is that uh, it's, 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 kind of a, it's kind of a play on words. Isaiah has been doing that, and he's doing it again here. 
a casual Bible reader would look at that and say, well, there, what, what is Duma? Where is Duma? I have no, I've never heard of it and can't find it. But if you actually study the Bible, you see the word play. Duma actually sounds like the word in Hebrew for silence. It means silence. And he's playing on the idea of this word called from Edom, Dom, Edom, Duma. Um, if you ever heard of the of Idumea, uh, Herod, his family was Idumean. He was from the, the Idumean area. This is Edom. This is um, the um, this is um, east. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I knew I was going to miss it. Uh, yeah, it's Esau. I'm sorry. Esau's area. This is Jacob's brother's area. This is a. This would be a cousin, basically, of Israel. These are the Edomites. These were the ones that did not allow Israel to pass through. Their own relatives did not allow Israel to pass through when they were coming up from Egypt. We we know later on um, during the during the time of the Assyrian occupation or the Babylonian occupation that the Edomites would attack Israel. Talk about a family feud. These are your cousins, your uncles, attacking you. So when you kids, your kids don't play well together, that's been going on for a long time. But this is Edom. It's just, Isaiah is playing on this. Seir, it says he calls him Seir. Seir was a mountain in Edom. <coughs> so someone is calling from Isaiah from Seir. Asking what time of the night. Now, why would you want to know what time of the night it is? You know, I, I, you probably like me. I woke up, wake up in the middle of the night, and it's still dark out. I have no idea if I, an hour has passed or three hours has passed. So what do we do? We look at the clock, right? Oh, it's 3 o'clock. I've got about four more hours before I have to get up. Or sadder, it's 6 o'clock. Now i got to get up in an hour. They want to know what time is it. When is this going to end? When is the darkness going to be gone? Edom was a place of security. It was it's mountainous. Many times they would come down out of the mountains to attack Israel. It seemed safe. It seemed easily defended. Edom was secure, safe, until the Assyrians attacked them. And they were no longer safe. And when the Babylonians take over, they become part of that empire too. Nothing is safe. So the voice in Eden wants to know, when is this going to end? Don't we ask that question? Don't we ask that question today, Lord, when is this going to end? When are you coming back? And when everybody has a guess, everybody has uh, what they think is the truth of what's going to happen. And Believe me, the Bible is very vague because that's not what God's focusing on. I'll tell you what my thoughts are, but I don't know. I know it's soon, whatever that means, because he said it was going to be soon. 
But you know, Edom is in darkness. There's, there's, things are not what they normally are. <clears throat> and you know, we're all kind of scared of the dark in a little way. I mean, we probably were at one time as a child, in some shape or form. I, I, you know, I still, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I came here last night about 10 o'clock to do a few things. It's dark here at 10 o'clock. I'm walking out. I was changing the changing the lights on the crosses, and you can only do that at night. And there's like no lights out here, so I'm hearing every little sound. I'm a grown adult. I, I you know I'm hearing every little creak, every little sound. There's no cars going up and down. It's dark, and I'm peeking around the corner. You know we're all we're all a little leery of the dark. How many of us turn our lights on when we're in, we're in one part of the house, we're going to the other part of the house at night, and we turn all the lights on for every single room? If you're like my kids, you don't go back and turn them all off, so I come in and all the lights are on in the house. That's how I know Abigail has been going someplace, because she never turns the lights out. I just installed new lights on our sidewalk, so that you know people can see at night, because it's dark in front of our house at night. See, we, we want to we push the darkness back, right? It's dark in Edom. Darkness represents suffering. It represents disaster in Scripture. In, in, in earlier in Isaiah 8, 22, said, it says, And they will look to the earth, behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will thrust into thick darkness. We get this idea of darkness being overpowering and pushing down on us. Don't you feel that when you go out into the dark, especially if it's someplace you're not comfortable with? You know, it pushes on us. I, I got bad eyesight as it is, and if it's dark, it's even worse. I have to have bright lights to see anything. I want to push the darkness away so I can see. The prophet Amos, he, he warns us not to be too hasty. You wish for the day of the Lord to come. It says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Now, we want the day of the Lord to come, right? We want it to come because that's when Christ is coming back. That's when judgment, everything, the darkness will end. But this is what he says. He says, why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. The light comes after the day of the Lord. On the day of the Lord, it's going to be dark. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be the most difficult day this world has ever experienced because Christ comes back and judges. Why would you want that? He says, don't call for that. You have no idea what you're asking for. Jesus said, and, and he used darkness to describe the final place that those Jews who didn't believe in him were going to end up. Because here's what he, what he says in Matthew 8. He says, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying there is there are going to be people from all other nations, all other tribes, all other tongues who are going to come and dine with Abraham. We're going to have the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But then he says, while the sons of the kingdom, which are the, some of the Jews, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you can kind of understand the, the, guy, the person from Seir, from the mountain of Seir, is calling out, when is the darkness going to end? It's oppressive. It's too much. There's good reason to be scared of the dark. If you don't know... Jesus Christ is your Lord. 
because he is the light. Just to go to the opposite end, in Matthew 4.16, it says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Like I said, I'm blind if, I don't have, if I'm in the dark. I can't see details. I can't, I, I stumble over things. I end up with a boot on my foot like Jeff has if I don't have light. I'm about ready to get some glasses that have be, you know, beams in them, beams of light so I could see. It's just hard. We're living in darkness, but we've seen a great light, and that light is Jesus Christ. We live in darkness, but when Christ came and we believed, the light has dawned upon us. The Apostle John tells us that the light of Christ has overcome the darkness. In, in, in John 1, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's why Abigail turns the lights on, because it pushes the dark back. And, it, it, and the only way the darkness comes back in is if she what? Turns the light off. We have a promise from Christ that if we walk with him, we do not have to worry about the darkness. John 8, 12 says, when, and again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. If we have Christ, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We don't have to worry about the darkness. We don't have to be concerned about what's in the dark. Scripture's full of this comparison between light and dark. The world and the ruler of this world is bringing darkness into our lives. But Jesus brings a light. And the Edomite wants to know when is the age of darkness going to end? And what is he told? Come back, we'll do this dance all over again and you know, ask the question again. Kind of frustrating, isn't it? You ask and no answer. You ask and no answer. You ask and no answer. It's one of two things. Either it's not time yet. You're, you're, either you're not ready for the answer, it's not time for the answer, or you're not going to like the answer. You already have the answer and you just ignore it because you don't like it. The Edomite is getting the silent treatment. Morning's coming, and then another night. Come back. We'll do this again. It's, it's, it's all just waiting for judgment. The message of Edom is don't put your trust in Edom because they're going to be judged too. They're in darkness. They have no clue when the darkness is going to end. Why would you trust them? I think of our economy today. You'll, you'll get, you will get a gambit of answers on when things are going to happen. Guess what? None of them know. It is too complicated for them to know exactly what's going to happen and when. It's, just, it's a fact. There's too many inputs. You cannot, you cannot keep track of all of it. So you do what you can. You hope you're one step ahead. Don't trust Edom, because they too, like Babylon, like the Assyrians, are going to be judged, as all the nations are. So we have the silent treatment. Come back tomorrow. You'll get an answer, maybe. 
And then we go on to the next to the next oracle. Because see, the problem is Israel's beginning to run out of nations. Egypt, no. Cushites, no. You know, Babylon, no. Assyria is, you know, one trying to attack. The northern kingdom's gone. Uh, Edom's no good. Is there anybody else? You know, at this time, at that time, that was their world. They didn't know of anybody else. Where can they run for shelter? Well, what about Arabia? Verse 13. This is the oracle concerning Arabia. In the thickets in Arabia, you will lodge, O caravans of the Dedanites. We'll explain who they are. To the thirsty, bring water. Meet the fugitive with bread, O inhabitants of the land of Tema. For they have fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and from the press of battle. For thus the Lord said to me, Within a year, according to the years of a hired worker, all the glory of Kedar will come to an end. And the remainder of the archers of the mighty men of the sons of Kedar will be few. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Whenever you see the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken, that means he's saying, this is going to happen. God commands it. He declares it. He commands it. He's the only one who can do that, by the way. Declare it and command that it be. Again, we, we see Isaiah using some wordplay here uh, to kind of give a deeper sense of what's going to happen. The, the consonants in the word Arabia are the same Hebrew consonants that are for the word evening. If you understand anything about Hebrew... Which in the Hebrew writings, you only have consonants. There are no vowels. So if you were to write Yahweh, which is God's holy, his ceremonial name, you would not, it's Y-A-H-W-E-H. But it's W-H-W, or Y-H-W-H in writing. There's no consonants. So what Isaiah has done is he is taking... There's no vowels, I'm sorry. There's only consonants. But the consonants actually have the same meaning as evening. Just different vowels are in there. But they don't, you don't see that. So he's playing with these words. Evening. So why would he use evening? Because what is happening, he's saying, Arabia is slipping into the night. See, the first one, the, <laughs> in Seir, the Edomites are asking, when's the darkness going to end? And here Isaiah is saying... Oh, Arabia is slipping into the night. The sun is setting on this nation, this people. It is the twilight of their culture. I, I sometimes wonder, is, are, we, are we slipping into the night as a culture? Sometimes it doesn't look that way. I mean, the last couple of weeks, I mean, with the, the things that the Supreme Court have brought down, and we... You know, we we think that we're we're fighting, we're gaining back some ground in our society. But we always got to remember, there's always a calm before the storm. I'm afraid there's going to be quite a bit of persecution coming. I'm going to be talking more about that in different um, different places. We'll see. I haven't really worked out how that's going to work. 
But the sun is setting on our world. See, the Arabians were desert dwellers. And this was, this was an area um, kind of between, um, you see the Aramean kingdoms there, kind of between Israel and Babylon. These are the Dedanites. The De- and we know the Dedanites because they are actually a descendant of Keturah, who was one of Abraham's concubines? Well, most most of us don't understand. We think of we think of Abraham. We, we know he had he had Ishmael, right? We also know that he had Isaac. But what we don't always read about, because we don't always read that far, or we read it, we don't think about it, is after Sarah died, he took on more wives. He had more children, a lot more children. The Dedanites, who are the, the desert dwellers, are his descendants of one of his concubines. We see it in Genesis 25, 1-3. It says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Didan. The sons of Didan were Ashurim, Latushim, and Lumen. You wonder why these words of these names matter? Well, that's why. Because later on, we see how a lot of these people, a lot of these, these nations in the Middle East are descendants of Abraham. They're just not the chosen people that God chose through Isaac. If you look there in those names, you see Midian, the Midianites. The Midianites was where Moses got his, met his wife and met his father-in-law. So you see this. They, are, they dwelled in the desert. They were merchants. They were part of caravans. They would have caravans that would go back and forth to different places, different cities, and, and sell their, their wares and sell their, their goods. And, and they would travel the trade routes. Tima, which we see in, in these verses in Isaiah, we see that in, in verse 14. It says, Oh, the inhabitants of the land of Tima. Tima was an oasis. It was an oasis where the caravans could stop, and what they could do, they could refill their water, they could refill their food, and they would stop there for the next leg of their trip on the, on the trade route. And what Isaiah is saying is, there's going to come a day when this whole area is going to be flooded with refugees. That's what it says. Meet the fugitive with bread, O inhabitants of the land of Tema, the fugitive. The refugees. Now, we, we know it happened. Um, we know for a fact that it's possible this could be talking about when the Assyrians came and took Babylon as its vassal state. It could also be after Babylon, talking about when after Babylon was the ruling nation and then the uh, Cyrus came in and then we have the Medo-Persian Empire taking over. We talked about that a little bit last week. Needless to say, what we do know is that there are people who are fleeing for their lives, and Isaiah is telling them, take care of the refugees that are going to enter your land. He's saying, help those who are in misery. But see, the, the thing is, is when we help people who are hurting, when we help people who are refugees, when we help people who are in trouble, there is risk involved there's a cost that comes but when we do that it's also a picture of self-giving love 
for the sake of others. It's what we're supposed to do. I mean, Jesus talked about this. He talked about this when he talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. You know the story. I, I, I don't have to tell you, but I'm, probably, I'm going to tell you most of it here. Just to kind of recap and get you, get you thinking here about this. So a lawyer who was not necessarily a person who would argue in court, but he was a person who studied the law. He knew the law. He asked Jesus, how, how do you inherit the eternal life? And Jesus asked him, what does the law say? And he answered. In, Luke, in verse 27, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, You're right. You got it right. Awesome. Doesn't say awesome, but you got it right. But see, the lawyer, what the lawyer was trying to do, he was trying to trap Jesus, so he, he doesn't let it lay there. He goes on and he asks them, to t- he's trying to test Jesus, and he says, and he's trying to just not only test him, but trying to justify himself. You see, his motive wasn't correct. He says, well, who, who's my neighbor? Now, we all know who our neighbors are. At least you should know who your neighbors are. So Jesus begins to tell them this parable that a man was beaten and left on the side of the road. And the religious leaders come by. The religious leaders who should know the law and should know that when you see someone hurt, you help them. But what did they do? They ignored him. They passed on the other side of the road because it was going to be an inconvenience for them to help this man. But a Samaritan who the Jews hated... These were the Samaritans, were the people from the northern kingdom who had been returned, who had come back from the Assyrian exile. And they did not know what tribe they were from. They did not keep it. They had been mixed. They had intermarried with other people. And for the Jews, they were, you know, the unwashed. Racism. It's there. I don't think it's as bad as some people say, but it's throughout history. It's there. So the Samaritan stops and has compassion on him. But it doesn't just say that he has compassion on him. Oh, I'm so sorry this happened to you. No, his compassion moves him to act. He cleans and binds the man's wounds. He puts the man on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, Pays for his care. It cost the Samaritan not just money, time. He was probably on his way to do something. That all got put on hold. Who's to say that the robbers weren't very far away and were waiting, is using this guy to come and to attack somebody else? We don't know. There's always that risk when you step into a situation like this. Great cost can come from that. But there's great symbolism in this story because just as the Samaritan was hated by the Jews, by the religious leaders, Jesus was hated by the religious leaders. And yet he rescued the person that needed him the most, just as Jesus did. We need him the most. He rescued us. And he did it out of his love for us. 
and something that we could never repay him for. We don't hear about the, the man on the side of the road who was beaten repaying for his care. All we know is the Samaritan says, tells the innkeeper, take care of him. When I come back, I'll pay you what is owed. It's the same thing Jesus did. He doesn't want us to repay him. And see, that's you and I need to do the same. That's what Isaiah is telling the Dedanites. You're going to have refugees coming into your territory. You need to take care of them. You know, when we see someone in need, we try to make, and I I mean really in need. I know there are charlatans out there. There are people out there who are are scamming the system. I've experienced it. I know. But we see someone in need, we need to attempt. We need to help them. We, we try to make excuses for it. Man, I, I just don't have time. I don't have any money with me. I don't. It's just not me. Or I love the one. Well, that's just not my gift. It's not a gift. It's a command. Love your neighbor as yourself. We need to have courage. We need to take a step of faith. And we need to live generously. I say I put this in here because I was thinking, why am I putting this in here? I'm thinking I started watching some things, and I think that we're going to find some time in the near future where there's going to be persecution. There are going to be people who are going to need us to help them. It may be people here in this very church. It may be someone we don't even know. God has provided for us so that we can help others who can't provide for themselves, and we need to do it. Back to Isaiah and the Denonites. He wants them to have compassion on the refugees. But it's going to cost them. It is going to cost them. Because look what it says. But thus the Lord said to me, this is verse 16 of chapter 21, within a year, according to the years of a hired worker, all the glory of Kadar will Come to an end. The Dedanites are going to pay a heavy price for helping either the Babylonians, helping the Babylonians. They're going to pay a heavy, heavy price. And even they are not going to escape judgment. Even those that are helping others, that we think are living up, they're not going to escape judgment. There's nothing you and I can do short of believing in Jesus Christ and, 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 and surrendering our lives to Him, making Him Lord of our lives. There's nothing we can do to escape judgment. There's no, we, can't, we can give away every single dime we have. We can spend our time, all our time helping the poor. It doesn't matter. You will still go to hell if you don't know Christ. If you don't trust in him and believe that he is who he says he is, and then put your life in him, you, you, you surrender yourself to him. If you don't do that, you can give it all away. It won't matter. You're still going to end up in the same place. Within a year, Arabia is going to be devastated. This glory that the merchants had, I mean, because merchants, they, they're rich. They're rich. They sell things. They have the good stuff. They have access to all kinds of different things. 
and, and they enjoy the things they have. I mean, they do. I used to, I used to, my first job was working at a bookstore, and the beauty of a bookstore was that I could read any book in the store. I could actually take the book home and read it, and then we'd bring it back and they'd sell it. So the book you buy in the bookstore may have already been read, so it's an actually used book, you just don't know it. But that was the beauty of it. I didn't make a lot of money, but boy, I could read every book I can, and I did. I was reading like one or two books a week. The merchants are enjoying that They've got what they need. They can have access to all the things they need. And here, they're going to be devastated. Why? Because no matter what they do, they still are going to be judged. Not only that, but it says, and the remainder of the archers of the mighty men of the sons of Kedar will be few. The sons of Kedar, the Dedanites, were known for their archery. They were known for their skill with the bow. That was going to come to an end. Why? Because their numbers are going to be decimated. Why? Because they are not going to escape the judgment. None of us are, unless we know Christ. We get this impression that our civilization, the civilization of man is, is weaning away in a darkening world. The, the sun is setting on our world. See, man can never provide salvation for our society. Nobody in the White House, nobody at the head of the United Nations, nobody in the houses of any parliament in any country is going to be able to save us. We're going to hear about it. There's coming a day when the Antichrist will come and everybody will think, this is, this is the one. He has all the answers. He's the one who's going to save us. Even, even some people who claim to be believers in Christ are going to follow him. But he doesn't have the answer. The answer, only answer, is Christ. No political party will bring us salvation. None of them can save our economy, our culture, our country. The sun is setting. But, you and I, see... <laughs> The sun can set on this world because you and I, we're not part of this world. In Romans, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He's saying you need to follow Christ. You need to surrender your life to him. That means the things you do, the things that Christ says you're not supposed to do, don't do it. You want to know what that is? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read Paul's writings. Those are the things. That's what it means to have faith, is to do the right thing. Why? Because we love Christ and he loved us. And we believe in him, believe that he is who he says he is. He is God. He died for us. And then to live our lives in reflection of his. That's contending for the faith. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Basically, because if we think too highly of ourselves, we're not going to help anybody, right? But think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
when we watch the news today, when you read the news, no matter where you get your news from, well, that's not true because there are some stations who just completely don't even look at the news. They tell you what they want you to hear. We see that we can see the way the world is descending into darkness, how the sun is setting. We shouldn't be surprised. John tells us in 1 John, he says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. He says, Don't love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So when you, when you lust after things, when you see something and you desire it so much, or when you see someone and you lust after them, that's not from God. That's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. The sun is setting on the world, but guess what? We have the light. We're members of a different nation, a nation known as the people of God. And while the world is fading into darkness, our future is bright, filled with so many explicit promises of God. God, and here's the thing, God has not given us the silent treatment he, he has told us. He has shown us. He has spoke to us in His Word. That's what Paul says in, back in Romans 15.4. He says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instructions. For, for this, the Old Testament was written in the former days. It was for our instructions to teach us. But through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. When we read Scripture, we should have hope. It should bring us hope. And what hope do we have? Well, it's not the hope of this world, because the hope of this world is hopeless. There is no hope, because the world is hopeless without Christ. Back to John again. 1 John 2.17 says, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Remember that. Abides forever. Man, in his arrogance, we attempt to build our kingdoms here, don't we? But that kingdom will be on a foundation that's made of sand. It's never going to last. But you and I, we, there, there's nothing wrong with, with there's nothing wrong with having things and building. You know, there's nothing wrong with taking care of my house and taking care of my yard and planting a garden and doing all these things. But where's my foundation? What's it built upon? It's built upon the faith in my faith in Jesus Christ as a leader of my family, as a spiritual leader of my family. It's got to be. Yes, we, we, we need to pray for our cities. We need to pray for the prosperity of our cities. Not because it will be our permanent home, but because while we're living here, we may have peace. And be able to share the gospel with as many people and as many neighbors as we can. But see, we're citizens of a much bigger kingdom. Philippians Paul tells the, the church at Philippi, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it where we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body and to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So what is God saying through Isaiah 
in chapter 21. He says, you, you know, you may, you may search for a refuge in this world. You may search for something that's going to bring you security in this world. And for a moment, you may actually feel secure. We look at our bank accounts. We, we, we look at our house. We look at what we have. We look at our family. We feel secure. But where can we run when things get bad? Do we run to our finances? The finances won't last forever. Do we run to our food storage? Do we run to our bunkers? Do we run, you know, where do we run? Do we run the government? Do we run to our family? Do we run to our leaders? Can we run to Edom, to Arabia, to Egypt, Babylon? No. Because nothing of this world will save us. Because the problem is not this world. The problem, our problem, is our sin, the sin we all have. And the only answer to that sin is Jesus Christ on the cross, shedding his blood for us and the empty tomb. That is our only refuge. The writer of Proverbs wrote, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Christ is our tower. Our refuge. That's our refuge. We have to flee to Christ every day. And as we're fleeing to Christ, we need along the way, we need to share the gospel with those around us that we run into. So they too can flee to Christ, who is their only refuge and our only hope for salvation. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.